Now if you remember last week we looked at this strange multi-material statue that figured in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The dream of course was interpreted by Daniel and we saw that the statue represents the whole of history the history of the world from that moment the moment of Nebuchadnezzar's dream right up until our own time you know our own generation it spoke of four kingdoms that would rush across the world stage only to be destroyed by a supernatural stone that was cut out without hands and uh, for those of you that weren't here last week I'm not telling you a story that's, doesn't, that is, doesn't exist in the Bible it is a story just in case you weren't here last week Nebuchadnezzar had a dream what he saw in his dream was that and Daniel set about to tell him what his dream meant and if you remember the four kingdoms he's got a head of gold which is Nebuchadnezzar which is the Babylonian <laughs> empire he's got a shoulders and breast of silver which represents the Medes and the Persians who defeated the Babylonians and then he's got a, a stomach and thighs of bronze which represents Alexander the Great and the way that he flew across from Greece and conquered the whole of the known world before he was 33 there you are he died when he was 32 so he, he started his, uh, his track across the world when he was 21 then and then of course we got the, the legs of iron them big strong legs of iron which represents the Roman Empire and notice that there are two legs he's got two legs and the Roman Empire split into two it was split into the east and the west as we know and then we saw the feet that was a mixture of iron and <coughs> ceramic clay a mixture that doesn't mix you know that's what we looked at and that's what it's all about and that's what we looked at last week but we saw in that dream a stone that was cut out without hands and it came and hit the statue on the feet and destroyed it it crumbled into dust and the wind blew it away you know we saw last week that these are the empires of man the empires of the world and there's coming a day when God is going to come and he's going to destroy the empire of man and he will make uh, he will crush it into dust and it will blow away and he will set up his kingdom on the earth which will be characterized by something that is lacking today and that is righteousness now we know that these kingdom, each kingdom took over from the one that preceded it until we come to the Roman Empire the, this, the steel legs or the iron legs and it seems that it never it never came to an end the Roman Empire it seems to morph into this group of kingdoms that never seemed to get their act together notice there's ten of them ten little toes and they are made up of iron and clay so they are very very powerful but they are very very divided you know and that's that's what we are, are, are looking at going to look at uh, tonight 
the feet of iron and burnt clay the power on the one hand the power of the Roman Empire on the one hand and yet the weakness of division on the other you know when we look at Europe over the years over the centuries from Christ right up until now I think one term could be written over it which would describe it completely and that is hopelessly divided hopelessly divided you see it has the potential the potential power of the Roman Empire but it lacks the ability to realize such power because of its division now we haven't got the Bible to tell us that we can look into history and see that taking place before our very eyes now then the question I'd like to ask tonight is did Jesus have anything to say about what we talked about last week did Jesus have anything to say about this statue did he have anything to say about the kingdoms that it represents you and that's what where I want to go to Luke chapter 21 because in Luke chapter 21 and especially verse 24 he gives this period of time uh, which is incidentally again 2,500 or so years which is the big key uh, amount of time in, in prophecy and he gives it a title and he gives this period a title and a very telling title he calls it the times of the Gentiles he calls it the times of the Gentiles you know and this is what he said in verse uh, 24 and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations talking about the Jews now the Jews have been led away with the sword they've been um, led away into captivity into all nations and we know that they've been spread throughout the whole of the world for the last 2,500 years and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles will come to an end or will be fulfilled now that's what Jesus says about this statue he calls it the times of the Gentiles and he says it's going to end at a certain point in history now Jesus gives us two clues and both revolve around just one word or should I say just one place and that is Jerusalem and look at that photo I took that myself isn't that an amazing photo that's one of the best scenes of to take that photo in the whole of Israel you know and it's um, you think to yourself who's ever heard of Jerusalem or should I say who's never heard of Jerusalem you know Jerusalem I would say is the most talked about the most fought over the most envied the most coveted the most destroyed and rebuilt city in the whole of history and remains so today so the first clue uh, that Jesus gives is that Jerusalem will come under the heel of each of these four empires you see Jerusalem was always included in the boundaries of each 
of these empires. When Babylon ruled, Israel was in captivity to Babylon. When the Medes and Persians ruled, Israel and Jerusalem was in uh, captivity to them. When the Greeks ruled, when the Romans ruled, is Jerusalem was always under the heel of the Gentile. And that's what Jesus tells us. He tells us that the, the Jews will be trod, Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles all through the history of the world up until re- quite recently. You know, that's the, the first clue that he gives us. We could say that world history is defined by the way that Jerusalem is administered. You know, when it's administered by the Babylonians, then we know that we are in the Babylonian Empire. When it's administered by the Greeks, we know that we are in the Greek Empire. So, whoever's in charge in Jerusalem, and this is important for us to understand, whoever's in charge in Jerusalem is in charge of the world. That's what Jesus says. Whoever's there in charge of Jerusalem is in charge of of the world and therefore as i've said in the past the jews were never ever in possession of their own land and especially their own capital city of jerusalem from the time of nebuchadnezzar all the way up until quite recently now the second clue is that the so-called times of the gentiles will eventually come to an end when the jews once more after 2,500 years or so, will the Jews will once more take possession of their own land and regain jurisdiction in their own capital city of Jerusalem. You want so? For after 2,000 years, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. And yet we here in Emmanuel tonight can discern that the events that Jesus was talking about would begin to take place. That's why I asked you to reread. That's why I've got your finger in uh, Luke chapter twenty-one, because there's an awful lot of things in that passage of scripture which are about to take place. Some have already taken place, but there's a part, there's a section in the passage which I want us to read that is a, that are about to take place and couldn't take place until. The moment that Jew, the Jews regained their place in Jerusalem. You know, all we have to do to know how the world is panning out. All we have to do, we aren't going to go to Australia. We aren't going to go to Africa. We aren't going to go to New York or to Moscow. If you want to know what's happening in the world, there's only one place to go and find out. And that's Jerusalem. All eyes are on Jerusalem. Every Christian's eye should be on Jerusalem to see what is taking place there right now. Because what is taking place there right now is an amazing part of the prophecy of God's plan. Now that's what we've got to always remember. That Jerusalem is this most important place on the globe. All we have to do is to see who's in charge in Jerusalem. Who rules Jerusalem? Who's running the place? Who's in charge 
of the place. <laughs> they all there today, yeah. Even Prince Charles is there today. Yeah, yeah this because you know, and it's obviously by great um, planning by me that we are doing this on World Holocaust Day, the seventy-fifth anniversary, which is a big one. And here we are dealing with the Jews and the moment that they came back to the place. Who's running the place? Who's in charge? And I want us to just recap a little from what we've already looked at so far. Because there's a couple of years that are most important. You know, and I suppose that one of the most important years is 1917. In 1917, in the First World War, the British captured Jerusalem from the Turks without basically firing a shot. If you remember, they saw the planes uh, going over, uh, and they thought they didn't understand what they were, and they vacated the place, and the British troops just marched in, just like that, (laughs) as it were. You know, and that's what happened in 1917. The British captured Jerusalem from the Turks and General Allenby entered the city and the British were given the mandate to administer rule over the area for as long as it took. Now, who's in charge? Well, the British are in charge. So, you know, when we think about prophecy, then nothing's going to happen much because... The British are in charge. We're going to think it can't be the British who are in charge if the prophecy is to be fulfilled. So we, we can skip over that. They were given a mandate to run the place until such and such a, ta- and such and such a time. So really speaking, there's nothing new that has taken place here. Nothing to get excited about, except that at that time, in British Parliament, on November the 9th, Um, 1917 a declaration was made that the Jews would eventually have their homeland in Palestine so there was a little rumbling of something that was about to take place you can imagine the Christians of that day thinking wow it's starting it's about to start it's about to take off you have people and there were many Christians who lived uh, around the time that were expecting something like this to take place. The Jews promised a land of their own. That's what happened. But the situation remained static until 1948. And in 1948 the British were ordered to leave the land And the land was given back to the Jews. And they took possession of it in 1948. But they only had half of Jerusalem. See the Jews came from the west to Jerusalem. And then it was Jordan who came from the east to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was split down the middle. And Jordan ruled the eastern side. And the Jews ruled the western side. So who's in charge? Well, it's partly the Jews. And it's partly the, the Gentiles. So there's, a quite, there's quite a, um, a period when everything is overlapping. Everything becomes muddled. 
So yes, we can get excited because the Jews have got their feet in Jerusalem. But we can't get excited too much because also the Gentiles have got their feet in Jerusalem. So we still can't see any progress in the prophecies that God has brought to us. So in 1948, what Jesus said would happen still hadn't happened. Still hadn't happened because Jordan was the fly in the ointment. Jordan still ruled Jerusalem. And now we come to our my time. Now I can remember this as if it was yesterday because in 1967 on the 5th of June to the 10th of June which is six days the six day war took place. And I've got to be honest when a six day war took place I was scared stiff. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't have a clue what it was about, but I knew deep down somehow that this was a defining moment in history. I couldn't explain it because I knew nothing of this, but I knew there was something that agitated me and my spirit in the Six-Day War. Whether I was afraid it was going to escalate into a world war or what, or whether the Lord was speaking to me way back there. I don't know, I can't, I wouldn't like to say either way. But I knew there was something about these six days that would define the rest of history. And that's what it did. Because that war, June the 5th, on June the 8th, 1967, the Jews conquered Jerusalem and walked on the whole of it for the first time for 2,500 years. And I know some of you, and I've mentioned it before in our studies, can, can remember the newsreel of the Jews rushing to the Wailing Wall to pray at the Western Wall, the only part of the temple that still existed. And they hadn't been there for thousands of years. Then we asked the question who's in control? of Jerusalem and the answer is the Jews are in control of Jerusalem and all of a sudden everything starts to explode in the scriptures everything starts to come to life in the scriptures because now the times of the Gentiles in other words that hideous statue that we saw earlier on the times of the Gentile empires have now ceased to exist in their administration over Jerusalem and so it's time for us as a church to get excited now what Jesus said to his disciples on the Mount of Olives 2000 years ago has now come to pass in our time how special are we how amazing is it that we are on the earth a slot are on the earth when this amazing event has taken place now that was 53 years ago 53 years ago now you might have thought well the Lord would have come back by now but as I told you before the Lord goes round the houses I know of quicker ways to get things done than he but his ways are higher than mine. And why he's waited 53 years to come back, I don't know. 
I don't know, the times that in his hands. 53 years, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since that day. So many things have taken place during that time. But that war in 1967 was the trigger moment of modern history. The trigger moment of modern history. It signified the end, or it signified the beginning of the end of the last days. You know, people say, oh, we're in the last days, we're in the last days. Yes, we've been in the last days since Pentecost. They are the last days, 2,000 years. But there's a beginning of the end of the last days. And I believe that this day, June the 8th, 1967, heralded in the beginning of the end of the last days. You know, and it's almost as if we've reached the tipping point and there is no return. There is no return. And that's where we are today. You know, and everything that happens now in the world in relationship to Jerusalem has become the countdown for Christ's second coming. And that's why it's important that we keep up with what's going on in relation to Jerusalem. Because you were seeing the countdown to the second coming. You and Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about the second coming. It's gonna, he said it's going to come as a thief in the night, but it's not going to overtake you. Why isn't it going to overtake us? Because we can see the countdown. Yes, the moment is a mystery. The day that it will happen will perhaps surprise us. But the actual event, we are looking towards it with eyes that are wide open, seeing what God is doing and putting everything in place until that moment when His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will break through the heavens and put His foot on the Mount of Olives. That's what we are looking for. And as Christians, we are not... In, in the dark as far as that is concerned so the trigger moment of modern history has actually happened in the 8th of June 1967 and now we are counting down to the moment when Christ will come especially as they relate to the world kingdom represented by the feet because we are, you know we're in the time of the feet we've been in the time of the feet since about AD 300 that's when the Roman Empire sort of slipped into uh, into oblivion and morphed into what we are today so we're in the time of the feet now it's significant uh, I would say that the European Union that we belong to for the present time started its life in 1945 after World War II you know the, the ravages of war that has destroyed Europe so many times caused a group of men to desire unity now we are told on the statue that that cannot happen but it's a man made unity and the European Union was born in the hearts and the minds of men 
and women. You know, after World War II, European integration was seen to be the antidote to the extreme nationalism which had devastated parts of the continent. Winston Churchill went further and advocated the emergence of the United States of Europe. Now that was um, denied, violently denied by Ted Heath, if you remember, and has been violently denied by every Prime Minister since up until quite recently when they've actually come out with it and said this is what we want. Well, Winston Churchill said this in 19. 46. Now, can you remember when the Jews went back to Israel first? It was 1948. And in 1948, the Hague Congress, which was a pivotal moment in European federal history, because it led to the creation of the European Movement International and the College of Europe. Now, that's when it was really set in rock. Isn't it strange that that was set in rock exactly the same time as Israel went back into the land? So we can see that the history of Jerusalem and the history of Europe are so linked together that they are moving towards the end in a parallel fashion one in glory to God one in glory to man now that's, that's the, the projection of history at the moment Jerusalem is heading for the glory of God because one day Christ will sit on its throne Europe is moving to the destruction of God because it one day it will find itself on a battlefield fighting against God. That's the future. That's what's going to happen. But can you see where it started? Isn't it amazing? It started the same time, the same year that the state of Israel was formed was the same year that the European Movement International uh, was formed. And did you notice that Churchill advocated the United States of Europe. You know, during the 60s, 1960s, and of course we, well, besides two of you, we were all here in the 60s. Now, during the 1960s, tensions began to, to show, and France, East, France sought to limit this union, you know, and, uh, and to limit its power, and to limit its influence. But nevertheless, in 1965, an agreement was reached and on the 1st of July, 1967, the merger treaty created a single set of institutions for three communities, which were collectively referred to as the European communities. Notice the date. The 1st of July, 1967. 22 days after Israel began ruling in Jerusalem. I find that incredible. But going on, because it had moved on since then. 
and we move on to 1992 and we have what every one of us have heard of on the television the Maastricht Treaty and the Maastricht Treaty is officially the Treaty of European Union and on the 7th of February 1992 that treaty was signed and Europe became one we know different they think it will become one but the amount of disturbance and division that has taken place since then would tell us again that clay and iron don't mix but you can see where man is going and you can see how momentous the days that God has chosen us to live in we are living in these days when these prophecies are coming to pass. Now we can look at all the other things that Christ has told us. We turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 21. You know, and that's what I, I'd like us to read right now. Luke chapter 21. And I'm going to read chapters from verse 7 to 24. And this is the, the sermon that Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives just before he went to Calvary so his disciples asked him saying teacher when will these things be and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place and Jesus said take heed that you be not deceived for many will come in my name saying I am here and the time is drawn near therefore do not go after them but when you hear of wars and commotions do not be terrified for these things must come to pass first but the end will not come immediately and then he said to them nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven but before all these things they will lay hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons you will be brought before the kings and the rulers for my namesake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion to testify. Therefore settle it, not, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversities will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience possess your souls but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its desolation is near 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance. That all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant. And to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land. And wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now all that has taken place. All that is in the past. Because that brought us up to where we are today. You know when we think about the Jews how they have suffered uh, in so many horrendous ways. And of course this is talking to Christian Jews and we can look back in history and we can see the awful persecutions that Christians have suffered over the years as well. We can see the wars and the rumours of wars and the pestilences and the famines and all the things that have taken place right up until 1967. He talked of the period of history between the Sermon on the Mount of Olives until the end of the times of the Gentiles. You know, I would call that the church age myself. And a study of history, as I've said, involves the Jews and also the Christians would show that what he said has actually come to pass. You know, when we sort of, sort of boil that down, Jesus talks of the spiritual battle that will characterize the age of the church. Many will come in my name, he says. Many will come in my name and say the time is near. The time is near. You know, and the subtlety of Satan will be on show when he deviates just a little from the truth to ensnare those who are not well versed in the truth. That's why it's important to study God's word so that the false can be detected immediately by our knowledge of the truth he introduces viable alternatives to Christ viable alternatives you know he doesn't introduce people who are so far removed from Christ that no one would take any notice you know no one I, I don't think anyone has taken any notice of David Icke and sort of thought him to be the Christ I know we've got a lot of followers people that want to hear what he's got to say but very few people would acknowledge him as Christ except him because he's so far removed from the real Christ that no one would take any notice. Can you, but can you imagine if people came that looked like Christ, spoke like Christ, did things like Christ, but were just a little off beam from Christ? How many people are hoodwinked and brought into bondage because of that? Jesus warns us of that. It's a spiritual battle that we have to fight. Yet Satan introduces viable alternatives to Christ that many have followed and still follow. You know, and it behoves us that we are prepared for such an onslaught because, yes, that period is over, I've said, but the vestiges of it can still be seen. There's still things happening like that so immerse yourself in the word of God because we don't want to be fooled like the Roman Catholics who fooled because they've looked in the inner rooms for Christ someone has said he's in the inner rooms you know and if you go to a Catholic church there are inner rooms inner rooms it's a big part of their faith 
the inner rooms because that's where they think they'll find Jesus they've been hoodwinked he's not in the inner rooms some have said he's in the desert you know when the Muslims they've gone after someone in the desert but he's not in the desert he's not there you know, but people are hoodwinked because they are looking for the Christ and they don't know how to recognize him and how to find him Now you and I have got the word of God. It's open before us. And we know who the Christ is. He's Jesus of Nazareth. No other. He's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not in the desert. He's not in the inner rooms. He's in heaven at the minute. And he will come in glory. So that we won't be in any doubt as to who he is. But there are so many who have come in his name. And brought so many people into bondage. Listen to what Jesus said, where I've got those verses from. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert. You know, and billions of Muslims have run out into the desert to try and find their Christ. Don't go out, he says. Look, he's in the inner room. And billions of Catholics have gone into the inner room to find the Christ. But he's not there. Don't be odwinked. Into thinking that. You know we don't want to be deceived. By the angel Maroni. Who told uh, Charles. Or Joseph Smith. That the plates he had in his hand. Were new revelation from God. And so he's formed the Mormon church. We don't want to be hoodwinked like that. He's a viable Christ. But we can see through him. Because Christ has warned us. You know we don't want to follow Charles Russell. And his Jehovah's Witnesses. Into denying the deity of Christ. And the physical return of Christ. No, at the pain of death. People have stood against such people. Such spiritual abuse. That has been handed down over the centuries. And here we have got the vestiges of that. To deal with. But alongside this spiritual battle. We also have the upheavals of society. No, and we've seen... Wars, and we've heard of rumors of wars, and we've seen nation rise up against nation. Mm. You know, and it's happening all the time. You know, this society that we belong to is like the waves of this. You know, I watched a a, a video on Facebook this week of a um, a captain of a tanker, and he had his phone out and he was uh, filming or recording the sea. And boy, wasn't it awful to see. You know, the, you know, the waves were, I don't know how many foot up in the air. And, you know, the valley that it would create as it came over was in, almost swallowed up this huge tanker. You know, and the sea is raging and raging and raging. And God likens this world to the sea. It's raging. It's tearing itself apart. Society has never been so fragmented and so afraid. Why? Because we're in the beginning of the end times and the you know the prophecy prophecy is there to tell us you know and alongside upheavals of society we have the ravages of nature you know and again we can look out into australia you know we can see it's been on fire for weeks and weeks you know there are tsunamis that will come and take away thousands of people it's happening all the time it's happening all the time. And it's you. In our time as well. 
And alongside of the ravages of nature, we have the hatred of man in his desire to dethrone God. This is what the Bible says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You know, and it doesn't take an academic to know that this is how we would describe the history of the world right up until now. But now, there's been a shift. You see, the times of the Gentiles has passed. And we are now in a new era. And a new emphasis has risen. Now the battle is between the stone and the feet. The stone and the feet. You know, and I want to read the next part of our chapter uh, in, um, in Luke. Chapter verse 25 to 28. Because this is after the times of the Gentiles end. This is after 1967. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on earth distress of nations with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with power and great glory now when these things begin to happen look up lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh now I would suggest to you like that like no other time in history the world that you and I belong to is in turmoil it's in confusion and I suppose that confusion or confused you know that advert on the television for confused.com you know and it's a chilling advert I think and last year he called the last year the year of confusion I don't know if you noticed that in, in that advert. He was behind that big lorry with lots of things on and bits was falling off. And he says, confusion. This is the year of confusion. I wonder. I wonder. Because I don't think that the world has ever been as confused as it is today. It's running around looking for the answers to problems some of them don't even exist but they can't find the answer to it there are problems that do exist and they can't find the answer to it you know we are now a society that is scared of its own shadow we are supposed to have hit the technological age we are supposed to have left the superstitious age behind and yet today we are more superstitious and we are more frightened we are more scared than we have ever been as a society you know when we look at recognised institutions that are collapsing we see people turning away from God in their droves we see fear, the fear of resources running out of temperatures rising of sea levels rising you know extinction level so events are being talked about freely that old man with a sandwich board 
but declared that the end of the world is nigh. And everybody ridiculed him and laughed at him. But now, that message has become the scientific focus of our time. No longer do we laugh at that man. We look to the experts who are telling us exactly the same thing. You know, decades are being bandied about when this world is going to come to a genuine halt. The world is scared stiff. Global warming, climate change, viral epidemics, the world choking in its own plastic. And to combat all of these problems, what have we got? We've got the feet of Daniel's image. Yes, this is the way forward. The feet is the way to go, says the European leaders. This is the way to go. A one world government, a one world church. You won't just think of what we are seeing today. You know when the Pope links hands with imams and evangelical leaders link hands with the Pope and evangelical churches use Eastern meditation to find their way to God. And why should the Eastern religions have all the best fun in finding their way to God? Why can't we as Christians be the same? And what we are seeing is a gravitation towards a one world government and a one world church. You know, today in our, in our land, debate is outlawed. Opinions are enforced. No one, even Piers Morgan, despaired this week of the fall of a balanced society that encouraged debate and differences of opinion. It's gone, he says. You can't express your opinion now. You know, and we as Christians, we couldn't go out on the streets and express our opinion now. Because the world doesn't want an opinion that is different to the accepted norm. You know, and rather, by brutal force, this elite group of people are determined to force it all upon us. The feet. The feet of the statue. But the problem is, and this is the, you know, what has come to me today, for these feet to succeed, they have to tread again on the streets of Jerusalem. Now you can see where this is going. For the feet to succeed, they have to tread again on the streets of Jerusalem. They have to rule in the courts of David. It has to reintroduce the times of the Gentiles. It has to fly in the face of God. And again, we look to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Because there, in Jerusalem, the battle lines are drawn. Who rules in Jerusalem? It's the question of the ages from Nebuchadnezzar up until this moment in time. The question is, who rules in Jerusalem? And this is where our society is heading at a pace. It wants again to rule in Jerusalem. And that's why I believe people, you know, you might 
not like this. But I believe that people like Boris Johnson and Donald Trump have won their respective elections simply because of their support for Jerusalem. They have both pledged their support for Jerusalem. Now whether that will remain in the heat of battle, I don't know. But both of them in the last year or two have stood up and pledged by pain of death their support of Israel. You know, and um, I would hope that it would continue because I don't want to see our troops lined up against God's covenant people. But who reigns in Jerusalem? That is the question. Now then, just to finish, the last verse of our reading. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. I ask again, who rules in Jerusalem? And here he comes. He's coming in on the clouds. He's coming in with great power. He's coming in with great glory. He's coming to reign. He's coming to set his feet. Not this feet. These feet, but his feet will stand there and take complete control of Jerusalem. And never again will it fall into the hands of any usurper whatsoever. Because he's coming in glory. And he's coming in power. And he's coming in authority. And he's coming with a two-edged sword that will go from his mouth. And beams coming from his eyes. And he will destroy this statue that exists in the world today. Then the last verse. Now when these things begin to happen, uh, hopefully tonight you've realized or you've been reminded that these things began to happen on 1967 June the 8th he says look up don't look down don't bend over don't be depressed don't be afraid because look up lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh let me tell you this the stone is on his way the stone is on his way and who has great news for his people the stone cut out without hands is on his way to set up his kingdom on the earth and that same Jerusalem will be his throne because he is David's greatest son and he is the king of Israel and once he sits on that throne then eternity will never remove him but until then Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh.